Welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Liverpool's quadruple dream is alive. City's Goodison escape. Leeds bid Bielsa farewell, plus plenty more on today's One Football podcast. As joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Dan Burke. Hello. And Alex Mott. Hello. I feel like I said one football way too many times in that little podcast <laughs> intro. Say it one more time. Just one in case football. you didn't know. Yeah. Um, Dad, I saw you make a really funny point earlier about the Carabao Cup. You've never, and I have never, seen a can of this energy drink. No, me neither, yeah. They certainly don't sell it in Germany. And I've never seen it back in the UK either. I'm, I'm not convinced it actually exists, but... Yeah, it must it must do, I guess. Have you ever seen a can, Alex? Have you ever drunk some? Well, I had this exact same thought yesterday, and on the advertising hoardings, it said available at Morrison's. So you lads clearly haven't <laughs> been shopping at Morrison's. Yeah, clearly not. I thought it was like you, you remember that you remember that film Role Models with Paul Rudd? Mm. He works for like know. a really dodgy energy drink company, and I just think it's one of them. Like I've never seen it. Like you don't see players running around with cans of it at the end. It just <laughs> No. If they want to sponsor the, the podcast, with, uh, then they're welcome yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could do this podcast absolutely sugared up on the whatever on earth is in a <laughs> is in a can of Carabao, if that's what it's called. Who knows? Maybe there's a low sugar option. Anyway, we'll get on to the football this week. Um, and I hate talking about VAR, but that's going to be this week's podcast theme. It's going to be the most VAR-fueled episode ever. So let's pretend that we're the blokes in this room in Stockley Park, which again, also like Carabao, I don't think exists. <laughs> and um, we'll get to talking about some of the maddest points of the weekend. And we'll kick things off with the final at Wembley that saw Liverpool win 11-10 to on penalties. When realistically, they should have won it in normal time due to the wrongly disallowed, in my opinion, Joel Matip goal. Could you talk us through this, Dan, and what, what you saw? I mean, I, I thought it was offside, to be honest. I thought Van Dijk's foot was offside. And I know it's a tough one to take. I know it's against the kind of spirit of the game and everyone hates all these marginal offside calls and people don't like celebrating goals and then having them chalked off. But I thought that one was kind of understandable. Maybe a little bit more understandable than the, the Lukaku goal that was that was disallowed in, in extra time. I thought... Um, it was a bit unlucky there. It was, his, it was his arm that was offside, basically, wasn't it? And obviously, one day earlier, we'd seen... Uh, Rodri uh, get away with, with not giving a penalty away at Goodison Park for the ball hitting him on a certain part of his arm and then suddenly Lukaku's uh, getting called offside for, for the same part of his arm being offside. But in a, in a weird kind of way, I felt like the disallowed goals sort of made that game, the Carabao Cup final, what it was. It sort of ra- ratcheted it up the tension and kept the fact that it was still nil-nil and went all the way to penalties. It was just a really intense game. I was really nervous watching it and I don't support either of the two teams that were involved. And I think if if that goal had been given, Liverpool might have gone on to win it quite comfortably maybe and it w- we wouldn't have been talking about such a dramatic game really. But, but okay, let's say that Van Dijk's offside, say his foot's offside. Does he then do enough to interfere with play? I feel like he did pull back Rhys James. Slightly, yeah, didn't he? exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, to be honest, this isn't, the one that I'd be annoyed about if I was a fan of either team. I think the Lukaku one, that mm. looked a bit closer to me. But yeah, like Dan said, the fact that this game, the fact that this game was so good, it sort of overshadowed the two, uh, the two calls for me. I thought it was, yeah, an amazing game that thankfully wasn't ruined by uh, by slightly contentious refereeing decisions. But I, I, it seems to me though, the problem that I have with the Van Dyke one, and I think this is where the Lukaku one... It, it, it's so difficult to call Lukaku one, but there was a need to call it because of the eventuality of what happened. He put the ball in the back of the net. But on the Liverpool one, you're going off a hypothetical. Like, how do you know Rhys James is going to get there? Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's a good point. I, I mean, I'm not a 
don't know the offside law exactly and what they're looking for, but um, yeah, I, I, but yeah, I can, I can sort. It was obviously as a Liverpool fan, it's awful to score a goal and then have it yeah. chalked off by VAR, but I can understand why that one was given. I got to be honest. It was, a, it was a tough one to be honest. I think yeah, you're right with the Lukaku one. Again, this is one of those things where I'd like to see players given the benefit of the doubt because as a forward, you're going to be moving forwards, and as a defender, you're going to be running in the opposite direction. Yeah, so and, 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 even, and like even with the naked eye, it, it sort of it did look offside, didn't it? As as they were going through, I think without VAR, nobody really would have yeah complained if it had been given. So yeah, it was a it was a close one, but. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're burying the lead here a bit. Man. I thought it was uh, well, we're getting the game to, was so good. To the point so where we're focusing yeah. on the wrong the wrong thing. <laughs> we're getting onto it. We're getting onto it. <laughs> I actually thought it was a very entertaining nil nil or whatever it would have been had they all stood four two three two whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but but moving on to the penalty shootout, I felt like this was one of the games. Usually, I think nothing happens in extra time. Both teams are a bit tired. This, that, and the other. It was actually very exciting, and I was a little bit disappointed when penalties came around. I thought it could have been actually some more just interesting. Keep playing. Yeah, just some more interesting minutes of football. <laughs> oh, usually, yeah, everyone loves the drama of a penalty shootout, but I thought it was really good. Um, but Alex, how necessary was it in the 119th minute for Tuchel to swap Mendy and Kepper just for the shootout? Uh, well, I don't want to be all captain hindsight, but um, yeah, it was... <laughs> We're all doing that, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fairly obvious that it wasn't necessary, was it? But I mean, we saw in the um, Super Cup, they did exactly the same, didn't they? So, and that worked out. So it, it's all just sort of fine margins, really. What is so sort of galling is the fact that Mendy was probably Chelsea's best player and arguably the man of the match throughout mm. the whole game. I thought he was absolutely amazing. That, that double save in the first half was, yeah genuinely astonishing I thought in real time yeah it was amazing and then for Kepa to not even get anywhere near any of the Liverpool penalties and then sky <laughs> over himself it was yeah you couldn't have scripted it any better really could you especially considering you know three years earlier when he wouldn't get off the pitch in the final against Man City so yeah it was perfect in that respect but yeah it's one of those decisions that obviously looks stupid now that it's not gone their way but if it had gone Chelsea's way it would have been a stroke of genius so I saw Tuchel earlier on saying that if they're, if you're going to blame anyone, anyone blame him. It's, yeah, I think that's just Tuchel trying to deflect some of the attention yeah, away from Kepper. But yeah, it was it was just one of those things, wasn't it? I'm sure Mendy would have been told before the game if it goes to penalties, this is this is going to happen. And yeah, it's yeah, it, it's obviously bad for Chelsea fans, but I think it's even worse for Kepper to be, to be what, honest. What I don't understand though is that you're bringing him off. Obviously, under the assumption that A, it worked before, was it against Villarreal in the, mm. in the UEFA Super Cup? And yeah. B, because Kepa's a, a penalty hero, apparently, a good, a good guy at saving penalties. The problem is, though, the chances of saving penalties are so minuscule anyway that saying someone's got a good record, let's say, oh, Kepa's saved, you know, four penalties throughout his career, which is quite good for a goalkeeper, you know, to save four, maybe five penalties. It's still a ridiculously small percentage when you take into account penalties scored against him. So you're basically fighting over such a non-probability of saving it anyway. It doesn't really matter who's in goal. Yeah, some keepers may be slightly better than the other, but there isn't such a mass distinction between Kepa's ability to stop one and Mendy's that it needs to be this whole rigmarole of swapping him out on the 119th minute and then the pressure on him and this, that and the other. It was so unnecessary, given Mendy as well you know, given his form during the game and what he must have been feeling, 
because I take taking a penalty out of it, neither keeper expects to do that. But just as a keeper, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the stats to hand, but is Mendy even that worse a penalty exactly. saver than Kepa? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it, it does seem like an unnecessary sort of added pressure that mm. you're giving to yourself. You're then you're sort of focusing all that attention then on Kepa, yeah. which can't be good. For, I mean, we've seen in the past that he doesn't doesn't cope too well with uh, the pressure of being a Premier League mm. goalkeeper disease. So to then give it, give give all that to him for the penalty shootout, yeah, it did seem slightly odd. But yeah, like we said. It did work in the in the Super Cup. We, if he hadn't have skied his penalty over, we might be having a different conversation. So, I don't know. I think it's better <laughs> it being this way around, Mendy and Keffer than Keffer and Mendy. And that, if you, what do you, you think, Dan? So, yeah. I, I was almost hoping that he was going to let a goal in in the 29th minute of extra time or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That would that would have been pretty funny. Just like absolute howling, you know. Like, um, I mean, yeah. I, I think I can I can sort of understand the thinking behind it, obviously, but. You do kind of wonder what what might have been now, and the, the well, there was a couple of pretty bad penalties uh, from Kepa's point of view. There was one where he was stood he stood at the side of the goal, and Van Dijk just twatted it past him anyway. <laughs> that, was, that was that was brilliant. brilliant that one, yeah. Really yeah. And uh, and the other one when he against Harvey Elliott when he was like, pull it there, pull it there, pull it there, and Elliott did pull it there, and Kepa dived out of the way. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't tell someone to pull it there and then dive out of the way. That's surely not how it works. Like. And it was so obvious that he was going to miss when he stepped up yeah, after, yeah, after yeah, Kelleher yeah. taken his penalty so brilliantly. I was like, this guy's 100% missing here. He, 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 and he, he didn't just, just miss, did he? Yeah. It, was, it was a rugby conversion, yeah. He just, I don't know why. <laughs> he sort of stepped up as if you would in training when you're just kicking the ball to your mate. Like, I'm just going to batter this and make my mate run after it. Mm. Like, it, it was oh, bizarre. Honestly, him and Carabao Cup finals are not a thing. Worst partnership <laughs> in history. Um, there was a good suggestion on Twitter today, by the way, that uh, someone someone shared. Uh, wait, wait, wait. It, Before you say this, I guarantee you this is the next line that I've got written down. Go on, here go on. Sorry, sorry. Is it about letting the manager take the 12th yes. penalty? <laughs> I knew it. As soon as you said that, I knew that's what you were going to talk about. Go on, give us your verdict then. Would you have Klopp I've versus Tuchel? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking who would be the best and worst penalty takers in the Premier League, do you reckon? Well, I don't, I, I don't want to call out, you know, and be ageist, but I'm not quite sure Roy Hodgson's got it in him to dive about in goal. <laughs> no, he don't have to go in goal, he has to no, take the penalty, he right? he takes it, yeah, he takes the Oh, trailer. I thought you take yeah. it against each other. No, 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 no. Right. He takes I mean, that, that'd, be, that'd be something else, to be honest, yeah, that, yeah. that would be really I mean, good, you've yeah. got to go, I mean, it's probably got to be Stevie G, right, as the best... Yeah, probably. I mean, he's probably Lampard the, would be up there as well. Yeah, Lampard. Yeah, Lampard. They've played the most recently, and they're also two of the best penalty takers we've seen. So Guardiola would try and do Ralph something Ranier. too clever. Yeah, Guardiola <laughs> yeah. would try and do something mad. He'd try and do like what, like a, a pass penalty or something, <laughs> wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't think of anyone. I'm trying to think of a manager that we know is like really, really bad at football. Just one that hasn't played. What about know. Thomas Frank? He he strikes me as. Someone not, who'd probably not quite not be very player. good at football. Uh, He'd probably play the probabilities of percentages, very Brentford style. <laughs> Go down yeah. the middle, knowing that keepers dive most of the time. Yeah. He's got this, he's figured this I'm sure my ignorance out. here, but was, was Thomas Frank a professional footballer? Because he looks like he shouldn't have been to me. I don't believe he was. Was he not? No, I think he, I think he was okay in his youth, but injuries got the better of him, I think. I think that's, that was his, oh, his yeah. backstory. There we go then, there's your answer. I'd never forget when you talk about managers playing that video of Mark Hughes when he was manager at City banging a volley <laughs> top corner. You remember that? In training. Oh, my God. 
Absolutely stunning. <laughs> uh, right, we'll go back to the game, though. We'll also give a shout-out to, um, to Kelleher in goal, who scored the winning penalty for Liverpool after a great performance. Um, although, you're right, he did get no closer than Kepa to stopping any of the uh, uh, 11 penalties that he faced. Do either of you fancy a go at pronouncing his name properly? It's Creven, <laughs> I think, isn't it? Yeah, Creven, yeah. Creven. And then when I looked at it today, because I was, I was doing it for a video... There was all sorts of argument about where you come from. Like, oh, if you come from Munster, you pronounce it Quivin. <laughs> and then there's also Keevan without the Quee at the beginning. And I was thinking, this is just... I had to watch an Irish news report where the guy said it so confidently. I was like, it's definitely, that's how you say it. That's how... I did... Cork, isn't he? Yeah. Kelleher, yeah. He, um, he needs to do like a public service announcement. Just come out and be like, right, lads. This is how you say it. No more of this. Uh, I didn't realise he'd play so few games for Liverpool at 23 years old. I think it's about eight. In the yeah, well, he's 23. I mean, he's I got, he's that old, actually. Yeah. 22, yeah. 23, yeah. He's got one of the best goalkeepers in the world in front of him, isn't he? So yeah. I thought that when I saw Klopp say he's the best number two in the world, it's like, well, you know, that's that's good. And it's no disrespect because Alisson is great. But if my boss came out and said he is the second best at doing his job in this company, <laughs> I'm not sure how I'd feel about it. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to the Premier League now after. Oh, by the way, that was a record breaker for Liverpool. Ninth EFL title. Don't remind um, me. Don't yeah, remind sorry, me. Dan. They, t- they took you over They've there. They've got one ahead of us They've now. They've got yeah. one ahead with, yeah, with nine. And they also drew level with Man United for most English trophies. Uh, English club with most trophies on 66. Mm. So not long for Spurs to catch up, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the Premier League, actually, and we'll go back to a bit of VAR. Just a little bit. And Dan, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. But we'll start with Alex. At Goodison Park, when Manchester City ran out 1-0 winners, guide us through this decision not to give a penalty against Rodri. Um, should we all agree to just wear long sleeves or Cameroon 2002-style vests to stop this nonsense? Because yeah. I, we need to have markers on the arm. Each player should just have a line that says, yeah. above here, good, below here, bad. Was it a penalty? I mean, it quite, quite clearly was, wasn't it? I don't think anyone is, is debating that anymore. It's not often that I agree with Mark Plattenberg, but I saw him in the in the paper this morning <laughs> saying it was a definite penalty and one of the worst decisions of the season. Yeah, I, I'd, I mean, I don't. Who knows the handball law anymore? I, I really am sort of a bit confused as to how you can look at that and not. Maybe if the referee is, is in a bad bad place on the pitch, you can understand why he might not have given it. But surely that is the whole reason why VAR has been introduced to the Premier League. It's yeah, it was a very, very odd one. And then it's the first time I've ever heard the red zone used in, in terms of handball and, and Sky Sports. They said, yeah, yeah, it wasn't in the red zone, which, I, yeah, which I'd never heard before. And is the red zone like um, like goal line technology? If it like hits a, t- a tiny part of the red zone, does that mean that it is a handball and it isn't? I, I mean, who knows? But yeah, it was a very obvious mistake, wasn't it? It was... Shocking, really. Um, and yeah, I just I just saw before we came on that Evan have now asked for an apology from uh, from the Premier League. So it's uh, fairly obvious what they thought of it. And, and, and straight after the game, they always come out like the former refs or Premier League and it always comes out. Oh, yeah, they've admitted they were wrong. They've realised the mistake that they've made. I'm like, why now? You spent five yeah. minutes looking at it on TV. Why is it always, yeah. do it, saying anything now an apology? What's that going to do? You're not going to bring the game back, are you? <laughs> It's, uh, honestly, this stuff winds me up, and I'm not even manager, but it did wind up Frank Lampard. <laughs> yes. Very much so, with a, a big rant to the press. Should he be fined for speaking his mind, Dan, or did he have a point? I think we've, we've, no, we've he, ascertained he, should, he had a point. He shouldn't be fined. He did have a point, yeah. I think 
Um, I mean, I don't. What I would like to see is, is is some sort of official explanation given for these things because there's all, there's always a lot of hearsay about uh, you know Lampard's supposed to have spoken to the ref afterwards and gone into the press conference and said I spoke to the ref. He said it wasn't offside because mm. there's some confusion about whether there was an offside in the build-up. Whether that's what was given, and ultimately the the decision was offside. I think or. I don't even really know for sure. Mm. I think it might not have been given as a handball because it hit him on the t-shirt line, which is the official um, sort of barometer, isn't it, of whether it's a handball. If it hits you where on the top of your arm where your t-shirt starts and finishes, basically, then it's not a handball. I don't know. I thought it was a penalty. I was surprised it wasn't given. I was relieved it wasn't given. Um, but at the same time, you know, Guardiola said afterwards, if the VAR says it's a penalty, it's a penalty. If the VAR says it's not, it's not. And it's like... That's it, really, isn't it? You just <laughs> unless unless you're alleging some sort of deep state corruption favouring Man City, then I don't really know what else what else you can really say to it apart from they said it wasn't a penalty, so it wasn't a penalty. Mm. Okay, we're going to have to accept that. We're going to have to. If you are alleging that, corruption, be careful. Be <laughs> <laughs> We've got some good lawyers. The, the, th- the thing is, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's clear that oh, okay, it's hit his shirt covered part of the arm. Is Rodri or not using that part of his body to control the ball in that situation? He is. He's using yes. the part of his body yeah. to, to. But it's to not. Keep but it's it not an illegal him. part of the body. If that. If that's the case. If it hits you that high up the arm, it's not illegal, is it? So that's why. It's, the, why it's, the it's still been outside. Made. I think the frame of his body, and I think that's where. That's where I certainly would be confused, and I. I would. We were talking about this at the weekend with some friends that you'd love to be able to hear, like in rugby, when they talk to the ref. But it would just be a nightmare. Can you imagine what you would hear through through a referee's (laughs) microphone whilst talking? They'd be apologising for bad language every (laughs) ten seconds, wouldn't they? It would just be yeah. It would it would be great. Um, I I did think the city though. I wouldn't say got away with it. We always throw this. Oh, that's what champions do. I would say got away with it. I think. I'd. Uh, maybe the I penalty thought, decision, but with all three I points, I thought they were mu- they were much better against Tottenham last the week. Last week, they I, I wasn't that impressed with City this week. No, they honest. weren't. They weren't very good. No, and yeah, I, just, I don't know. I thought first half especially. Playing, yeah, I thought De Bruyne looked a bit rattled by Allen, especially in the first half. Um, I'm not sure. Bernardo Silva was sort of. I don't know. He was everywhere, but not in a good way. Mm. So, I mean, he was just sort he's of playing him in the wrong place at the moment. Yeah, he's playing him very, false yeah. nine. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't suit him. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I, really, I do think so. This is a yeah big win for them. I think mm. they. It's, I know it's a cliche, but it's a sign of champions when you don't play well and win. And, yeah, that's, and that's it. exactly what happened. So <laughs> that's what it is. I was at that bargaining yeah. point of the game where I was like, if <laughs> if we only draw, then that means. It doesn't really change an awful lot, you know what I mean? Like, we still need to beat Liverpool. We can still win the league if we just win every other game. Then it's fine. But yeah, so I was I was pretty relieved with the with the win. Right, we'll move on then to Leeds against Spurs because it's the end of the road for Bielsa, and I feel like we've spoken about it quite a lot. Um, are Leeds thinking this one through, or are they just hoping that a new manager bounce will see them stay up, Dan? I'm really surprised they've done this now. Actually, I thought they. I mean, I was saying last week on the podcast that I think they'd, they'd be wise to wait until the end of the season. Obviously, it was kind of looking like Bielsa was not going to be the man to keep them up. They've shipped, what, 14 goals in three games, is it now? Something yeah. mad like that. Um, so it's kind of reached a, a point of no return, it seems. and They've made the decision. It looks like they're, they're going to bring Jesse Marsh in as the manager. It's not, not official at the time of recording, but it seems uh, everything's pointing towards that. Whether he will be the man to inspire them, I think he's a good coach and I think he's a good man-manager from what I know about him, but 
whether he will be the man to come in and, and save them from relegation, I don't know, because I think the situation is looking really precarious for them, actually. And uh, it almost seems like a very, if they were to go down, a very avoidable relegation to me. It was never on the cards for me. I remember, In fact, I remember speaking to a Leeds fan last summer and he was like, we're going to struggle next season. I was like, nah. No chance. You'll do even better if anything. You'll be, you'll be pushing for Europe next season. He was like, "No, trust me, we're going to struggle this season," and uh, and lo and behold, he was right. But no one could have really foreseen such major injuries, though. That's the problem. When you take who is it, Cooper, Phillips, and Bamford out for the majority of the season, you're always going to struggle mm. without your best three, right? It's not just been that, though, has it? It's got to the point where it wasn't just that for Leeds. The injuries have been a problem, but there's been deeper issues, I think, with the way they've been playing, with, with how open they've been, with how poor they've been defensively, with how, how they haven't been really scoring a lot of goals as well. So it's just, uh, it, it was obvious that, it was, it, that they'd come to the end of the road with Bielsa, but I'm, I'm still quite surprised at how suddenly he's, he's left. So Jesse Marsh, like you mentioned, is the man tipped to take over. Alex... What do you think Leeds can expect to change in such a short amount of time? Because I was reading that he's been bought in, or will be bought in, it looks like, because he already fits the structure that Bielsa has set up. Yeah, I think, uh, well, firstly, I'm not sure it's a great appointment for them. From what I, I mean, he was he did it okay at Salzburg, but I think they've shown this season in the Premier League, uh, sorry, in the Champions League, that they're just as they're fine without him as, as their coach. And then we saw uh, in uh, Leipzig, he wasn't really suited to, to them and the Bundesliga. So, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a steep learning curve for him, I think, as a coach. But from what I've seen from his teams before, they do play a sort of Bielsa light, I guess, without this, without that sort of crazy man-to-man marking, which was Leeds' undoing, especially towards the end. So I do think it'll be slightly more... They'll try and be progressive, I guess, on the ball, but a bit more pragmatic when it comes to being defensive and maybe try and sit behind the ball a bit more and yeah, hit teams on the break, which I guess when you look at someone like Dan James up front, that's probably a bit more of what they should have been doing before. Um, yeah, I do think this is this was just, they're just looking for a new manager pounce really. And I think they might do it. I do think there's ultimately, there are three worst teams in the Premier League than Leeds. I think they probably, the board at Leeds made... The right call at the right time, I think. I, I, I loved watching Leeds, but the reason I love them was because they're so mad. <laughs> um, and that was that, that was why they were so good for so long, but that was also why they were so bad this season. They just they couldn't turn that tap off, could they, at the back and stop all the stop the goals. So yeah, I do think ultimately this is probably the right decision and it will it will keep them up. But yeah, like I I don't think that's because Marsh is an amazing coach. I think that would just be because there are ultimately three worst teams in the Premier League than Leeds. I also think it's probably quite simple for a new coach. Just bin off the man-to-man thing. Yeah, How difficult I mean, could it be? Just don't do that anymore and you're halfway there, surely. Yeah, everyone says how influential Bielsa is, but there's a reason no no other team in the world <laughs> plays that, that mad marking system because it just doesn't work. So, yeah, I think you're right. They will bin that off and you'll see they might not concede four goals yeah. every game. The, the, uh, honestly, I was I knew they conceded a lot of goals. I did not think that Spurs were going to do what they did and Kane and Son <laughs> were brilliant. Uh, they became the most fruitful partnership in Premier League history, combining for their 37th goal together at the weekend uh, one ahead of Drogba and Lampard it's a crime they haven't won anything is it Dan 
Or is it not? <laughs> is it is it just as urged? I don't know about a crime. I don't know if that's the word I would use. But, that is uh, the word I'm yeah. using. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's a bit of a worry for Spurs. The longer it goes on without winning anything, that they're going to... at some. I mean, Kane's already had itchy feet, hasn't mm. he? And, and already came close to leaving last summer. And who knows whether he's uh, he's going to hunker down and stay at Spurs now. I mean, I've said it to you before, Matt. I'm, I'm always so surprised that, that Son never seems to be linked with a move away from Spurs, that you yeah, never yeah. get Real Madrid or whoever sniffing around him. Because I think he's an incredible player. I'd, I'd have him at City in a heartbeat, yeah. So I'd have him over Kane, I think, if anything. So he, he's uh, a year yeah. older than Kane. I think he'll be he'll be thirty this year, I believe. Mm. Son, but again, he signed a new deal. I think last summer it might have been, or certainly some point during last season, the last eighteen months or so. Seems to be perfectly content at Tottenham. So, from my point of view, long may it continue. Let's mm-hmm. break that forty goals together, Mark. That's <laughs> something. Um, we'll, we'll go up next to Brentford to Brentford's 2-0 loss at home to Newcastle. Alex, we're laying down a marker here. We need to stop talking about Newcastle as relegation candidates, don't we? Uh, yes. I was about to say, unfortunately, yes, but I didn't, I didn't mean that. Um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're too good to be going down. I, I was sceptical about Eddie Howe and, and whether he could turn it around so quickly, but they've looked really good. Their signings, Trippier especially, has looked really good since January. Um, I... I think a lot of this was obviously to do with the red cards, but also Brentford just not being able to, not being very good at the moment, to be honest. So, yeah, there are other games that I would assess Newcastle on, but yeah, they looked, in some ways, it's quite difficult. We've seen in the past to play against 10 men so early on, you know, Brentford could have very easily just put 10 men behind the ball and frustrated Newcastle, but they didn't panic. They scored two good goals. Yeah, they look they look very good, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see now what happens in the summer and their, what investment they can make, yeah. and, and where they get get to this time next year. Yeah, be- it's going to be fascinating because it's going to be Premier League. That's the thing. They're going yeah, to be yeah, in, yeah. They're going to be in the yeah. top flight. I think Newcastle. Uh, it's it's an obvious thing to say, but it's just the maddest thing in the last eight weeks. They've gone from relegation candidates when the January transfer window opened to buying a player like Trippier, for him to become Mr. Reliable, to then get injured and then realise they can do without him, all within the space of eight <laughs> weeks, as well as signing someone else's striker and seeing him go on a gold drought, but it's not talked about. <laughs> like, it's just the maddest shit going on. Uh, as for Brentford, the red card obviously made a huge difference so early. What did you think, Dan? It, on a, I can't stand when Mike Dean walks away going, yep, that's a definite red. I'm like, Mike, you missed this in the first place. So don't act so nonchalant about it. It looks worse on the freeze frame, doesn't it? Yeah, but I thought it was a red card, to be honest. I don't th- I, it was one of them where he didn't mean to do what he did, but yeah. he's kind of, he just means to sort of step across him and shield the ball. But if you raise your foot off the ground and plant it into someone's ankle like that, you're asking for trouble, aren't you, really? So, you know, I've said many times that I do have a bit, a bit of an issue with some of the red cards that are given out to people. I do think something could be quite harsh, and I think this falls into the slightly harsh category, but at the same time, I think by the letter of the law, you have to say that's a red card. It's kind of dangerous. So, Do you think... Josh. Do you think, and this is probably me taking it a bit too far, on stuff like this, you would put, like like the Silverwood, you'd put your foot on the other side of the ball to kind of get your body in the way, wouldn't you? Which is what he's trying to do. Yeah. yeah. It's very unfortunate that, um, oh, who is it that he stood on? Um, um, it it was shit. your man Dan Byrne, was wasn't it, I think? Yeah, it might have been or maybe, maybe it was Cher, I don't know. Um, yeah. Was sliding in. So he's already on the floor. So basically what yeah, I'm saying is but, that, that that action of just putting your foot over the ball, getting your body away, is completely normal if the opposition's on his feet. But he's not. He's decided to go to ground. Yeah, but intent doesn't really matter anymore, does it? Just, I, I agree, yeah. but 
it was it was bad for me. I, 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 I do agree that it looked worse than the freeze frame, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's a red card. Yeah, I, I don't I, think you can have many complaints about that. To be I always think it, it it's kind of like imagine if if uh, if a player was like pushed you in the chest, right, and you just actually ducked your head. <laughs> and then bam he actually connects with you in the face you could be like oh he's hit me in the face when realistically you're like no you've ducked your head what are you on about <laughs> this is why i i bring it up because i think if if was if it's burn or share whoever it was doesn't slide in then he doesn't get caught in the ankle and i'm probably thinking mm. about this way too much players just yeah. need to learn that if mike dean is the referee you've got to be extra vigilant because <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. he does not need an excuse to send you off so yeah Mike Dean is mad for VAR. Uh, yeah. But also on top of this, uh, the game, it was great to see Christian Eriksen back on the pitch. Over yes. 250 days since that, that awful collapse in the Euros. And he's back. And um, certainly Brentford will be hoping he can inspire a bit of magic because their run of form recently yeah, they need is him, seeing them they? drag down. It's seeing looking a bit worrying down. for them, actually. Yeah. Do you reckon they could get yeah. sucked in? I think, I think looking at it now, and despite the fact I know that Everton are the ones on the periphery in 17th, I still think they've got a bit of enough quality to get some results together. I think Leeds and Brentford are the two that are going to be dragged down with the current bottom three. Brentford have got Norwich next Saturday, which is Ooh, huge for them. Okay, isn't it? They, and then Burnley at home. Then yeah. Burnley at home the weekend after. So yeah, they got two two games in the next couple of weeks, which would could definitely decide their season. Massive games, right? Actually, we're going to talk about what are them next in Burnley, well in the relegation scrap. Um, they say a week is a long time of football and no greater example has been seen in the past week for the Clarets who added to two wins on the spin with a point of Palace. Those who said Newcastle were sending them down by buying Chris Wood. <laughs> is this a testament to Dyche's job? They've not only bought in vague horse, but they're now well in the fight to stay up, Alex. Yeah, I mean, we sort of said it, I've certainly said it on this podcast and we all said it at the time. I think vague horse looked like a good addition to Burnley. He really looked like he could see them, but... Yeah, I've been very surprised how quickly he's, he's settled. And I didn't think they were too good on Saturday. Mm. I think they only had one shot on target. Um, but yeah, they got a point. I mean, there's not really much more you can ask that. Their goal difference is actually quite, that's almost worth another point for them now at the bottom of the table. I think theirs is minus eight when you, know, you compare that to Norwich and whoever else, which is on minus 15, minus 44. So yeah, that's that's huge for them. I also think Aaron Lennon has been very, very impressive as well these past few weeks. Scored last week. He set up, he set up the, well, did the cross for the for the own goal on, on Saturday. So yeah, he's been he's been very impressive for them. They just, yeah, like you say, they've just turned things around, haven't they, really quickly since since the January transfer window. They've, they've just looked so much better. So, yeah, I, I do think the, the momentum is with them and I could definitely see them staying up. It's a bit of a change, a bit of a change from what we saw a few weeks ago when they were, they were rock bottom. Uh, just to quickly touch on Crystal Palace, I don't think I've ever seen a more comfortable mid-table team than them. There's just not really much to add. I mean, we rave about um, Michael Olisay, and we'll continue to do so when he does something fantastic. But until then, that's all from Vieira's Palace. Uh, but Burnley's run has meant that Norwich have returned to their seemingly natural habitat of rock bottom with a defeat to Southampton. Uh, credit to the Saints, who are much better. But Dan, have you ever seen a game with two goals of such severely opposing quality? <laughs> I love the Che Adams goal in this game, actually. I, lo- I love a good goal mouth scramble, yeah. <laughs> it was really yeah. something else. It's not quite what I had in mind when I, I saw the result and I thought, go on, Chad, he's got a bit of quality yeah. about him. 
Yeah, yeah, he's he's done well, hasn't he? Southampton having a great season, up in ninth in the table now. I think mm. Hasner Hootel has uh, has done a remarkable job this year, and I'm someone who's been quite critical of him in the past, and he's uh, he's he's made me eat my words a little bit this season. Fair play to him, and I think um, Kyle Walker Peters is in really good form for Southampton yeah. at the moment. There's a bit of talk yeah. about uh, England call up for him. I, that's not a, the, the the craziest shout in the world, I don't think. Uh, it's been quite obvious, hasn't it, that he's someone's had a word with him this certainly since the turn of the year to get get forward more, get more shots in. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. looked really, really impressive actually the past past few months. I mean the last thing that England need is more right backs, but granted, he's <laughs> <laughs> he is deserving definitely of a mention because it's all I've seen people on Tottenham Twitter talk about. Every time there's a bad fullback who has a bad game, it's oh, Carl Walker Peters this, Carl Walker Peters. Is he still that. on? Is he on loan? From no, Spurs no, no. Or it it was a deal. Him, yeah. It was sort of you give us twelve, but then we'll give you three million for Hoiberg for the fifteen. So it kind of just worked out that those two swapped, mm. and Spurs paid a little bit extra on top. Oh, there's a good deal for both parties. He's certainly getting far more game time there. Then, I'm um, just looking forward to seeing we've had uh, we've had Kyle Walker we've had Kyle Walker Peters so who's next in the sequence do you think yeah. Kyle Walker Peters Jones yeah. can you triple barrel or the first triple barrel yeah. <laughs> hey in this day and age anything's possible yeah, isn't it? anything so, yeah. is possible you know, I'd like to go with something a bit something a bit more overseas add a bit of pizzazz into his game yeah you know Kyle Walker Peters Silver just that that little yeah. that little deft touch in the box it'd be brilliant um Right, Man United against Watford. Actually, we talked about Norwich there very briefly. They're looking... Like, uh, natural habitat may seem a little bit harsh, but they seem to be doomed to, to be the ones to sit at the bottom. Whenever, everyone, whenever anyone gets their act together and starts acting like a proper football team, Norwich are the ones to fall back down. So we'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye on them and see if anything changes, but I'm not quite sure just yet. Uh, moving on, though. So Manchester United against Watford. A 0-0 at Old Trafford for Ralph Ranick against Roy Hodgson who I still think wouldn't be a great choice to go in goal. Um, but he said, Ralph Rangnick, Manchester United must be sharper in front of goal. Is that all there is to it, Dan? Like, I think they win that sort of game majority of the time. Yeah, I mean, I watched this game. They were pretty much on top, United. It looked like it was going to be one of them where they, they would nick it at the end. Um, I'm, I'm going to be very careful what I say about them this week because it's the Manchester derby next week. So anything <laughs> that I say critically about them is bound to come back and bite me on the arse. I would say that if they want to be sharper in front of goal, maybe don't start with a 37-year-old up front. That might be a, a good place to start. I know, again, I was I was a bit critical of Ronaldo last week and... And uh, you know he he, off he's the had pace. His, he does, yeah. yeah. He, just, he just doesn't. He looks like he's 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 sort of running on fumes a bit at the moment in terms of his career. I know he played quite well against Brighton the other week, but generally speaking, I just think he is not really sort of helping matters for United this season. I think they've got someone like Alanga in really good form at the moment. Um, he's looking good. Bruno Fernandez has, has, has started to look a bit sharper in recent weeks as well. Um, I imagine they'll persist with Ronaldo until the summer, but. It sounds like it might be uh, it might be time to say goodbye come the summer and then they can uh, try and sign someone else perhaps. Um, I mean, I've spoken a bit about Ed- Edison Cavani on the podcast before about how I'm surprised that he doesn't play more often at United. Obviously, he's the wrong side of 30 as well. I think there's a bit of um, disappointment among the fan base with Cavani with, with the fact that he's been unavailable for certain games lately through injury or, or illness or whatever. I think United fans are a, a bit annoyed with him about that. So... Yeah, it's a bit. They just seem to be sort of getting through to the summer now, United, don't they? And just just trying to get enough points to finish top four, and then they can try and yeah. rebuild a bit from there. But they're a bit of a weird kind of Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster of a team at the moment. They're, I feel like with Ronaldo, it's more than just a dip in form now. 
like you said, mm. I think running on fumes is great. He, I think there was, I read a comment from him the other day saying, I want to win something else in my career. I think I've got four or five years left. I said, four or five years? So you've only <laughs> got four or five months left at United. Four yeah. or five yeah, years. Imagine him at 42 in, in, still demanding everything. Just You can't in the Premier League play with 10 players when you haven't got the ball and that's what Man United do. He just he does whatever he wants to do mm. when Man United yeah, yeah. haven't got the ball. So he just looks so out of place and out of time in the Premier League now, which is a shame because, you know, the expectation was very high when he joined in the mm. summer. But yeah, I think, I think it's time to uh, put this experiment in the bin and wish him goodbye and send him off to the Middle East <laughs> or the MLS, to be honest. He plays like, uh, you know, that mode on FIFA where you just control one player, every person controls one player, and they just all try and score. That's Ronaldo. Every time he gets the ball, he's yeah, just trying to score himself. I think that as well. I can't help but feel like a little cringe when you can see him. There's the option to pass, and he tries to take someone on the shoot. I'm like, oh, come on, man. What, what would your younger self have done? Probably the same thing. Um, how, how much do Watford take from this performance, though, Alex? Because they weren't great. I mean, yeah, you can still say, oh, we took a point from Old Trafford. But ideally, you're not conceding that many chances to a team with, you know, such good attackers. No, they they got battered really, didn't they? And I think a, a better team in front of goal would have, yeah, probably scored four or five against them. I've, I don't really know what to nil, make. Battered nil-nil. Yeah, it. well, they, they did really, didn't they? I don't really know what to make of Watford, to be honest. One of my mates from home, Dan, he's a season ticket holder and he he despairs to me every week about how bad, how bad <laughs> Watford are. Um, I think he'd rather be winning games in the Championship than losing them in the Premier League, to be honest. So, I don't know. They just, one week, well, one week they can be, you know, pretty good and win 2-0 or whatever and then the next week, yeah, they can get bad 4-0 or whatever. So, I don't know. I just think they're, they're probably one of the sides that are bound to go down as well. They, they don't really, although they're not conceding many goals, they're, they're not scoring many either, are they? And I think, I don't necessarily think they'll be missed if they go down at the end of the season. Yeah, I can't help but feel that this, you know, three clean sheets and six and Roy Hodgson masterclass is actually, it might be partially down to him, but they might be riding their luck a little bit. Yeah. You can't, you can't keep getting battered I think in it games. May, may, I think it maybe is probably that, a lot down to him, but then they're not doing it at the other end of the pitch, are they? Yeah. They're, they're, they're just not producing them yeah, at both ends. So, yeah, sorry, Watford, but I think you're probably down to go there. Bound to go down. <laughs> Um, next up is West Ham, who edged past Wolves to boost their top four hopes. And I wanted to point out that this game shows that stats don't meet everything. Because here are the stats. Um, and I, I checked them against a match report, which basically said that Wolves were lacklustre and West Ham were brilliant. <laughs> Having said that, uh, West Ham had four shots on target to Wolves' one. Fair enough. But they had 39% possession compared to Wolves. They had... Almost 300 less passes, 6% less pass accuracy, less corners. Uh, I didn't watch the game, as you could probably tell by now. Um, and looking at the stats, I was thinking, oh, it looks like Wolves actually gave him quite a good go here. Not too many shots on target. But West Ham got the three points. Is this something that will bother Moyes moving forward, Dan? Or is he the kind of guy to say the only stat that matters is the scoreline? He's 100% the kind of guy yeah. to say that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I suppose he'd be right as well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch this game either, to be honest with you. Um, by all accounts, West Ham played quite well. I think mm. uh, it was good for Thomas Suchek to get on the score sheet because I think he's not uh, had the most amazing of seasons, personally speaking. Um, I actually thought West Ham were in a bit of a slump, but um, they've drawn a few games recently, but the results have generally been pretty good. They're, they're still knocking on the door of top four, breathing down United's neck. I think they've they've got every chance of, of 
of making a fight of it with uh, with Arsenal and, and maybe Tottenham getting involved as well. Who knows? Um, I mean, a, a lot of people are talking about the the title running for City and and looking at Aston Villa at home on the last day of the season as a potential where it could all unravel. And the the game before that, we've got West Ham away. Now, assuming they're still in the hunt for top four, that's going to be a really hard game for City. So. Anyone coming up against West Ham is, is going to be a difficult game. They can give give any team in the league a game on the day. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I think uh, they'll uh, they'll be p- very pleased with that three points. You, you've come away empty-handed from the London Stadium already this season in the Carabao Cup. Correct. And Correct. Uh, yeah. Liverpool went down there, Tottenham as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're probably right. West Ham's a, a tough place to go. Uh, we have to talk about, on the other side, though, Fabio Silva. I'm very interested in his career development. So, 18 months ago, 35 million... On an 18-year-old who'd scored one goal for Porto, uh, scored four goals last season, has no goals in 14 this campaign, only a second start of the season, played 90 minutes, didn't do much. Is the pressure a bit too much for him with that price tag, or do you see a real player in here, Alex, who's who's going to be out with us soon? I, to be honest, I don't really see much of a player, certainly not a Premier League player. I, yeah, I... I I did watch this game yesterday, lads. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, well, what, what have we been waffling about? Uh, Enlighten us. It was, I was surprised, actually really surprised by how poor Wolves were. I, yeah, I, I thought West Ham pretty much dominated the entire game. Certainly in the first half, they could have had three or four. Mikel Antonio went close. Cresswell had a good free kick. Um, and Wolves created nothing. Like, like you said previously, Matt, they had one shot on target and it was a bit of a posh shot to nothing. Fabio Silva looked lost up front. Really, had nothing. To be fair, I had nothing to work with, but just wasn't really making the runs that you'd expect a like a quality striker to make. They were just really, really poor. And I'd, and I'd, they've had a lot of praise this season, Wolves. But yeah, they really surprised me how bad they were. And West Ham were good, but I don't think they were like amazing and stopped Wolves doing what they could do. They just yeah, they just didn't really turn up. I think it was. Hopefully for them, it was just a bit of an off day and, yeah, they can move on. But, yeah, I, I was surprised by how bad they were yesterday, actually. I saw they made all three subs, right? And with Fabio Silva having a shocking game and Raul Jimenez sat on the bench and they still didn't bring him on. Yeah, I don't know whether... Yeah, I, I saw that. I don't know if there's a slight injury before in the yeah. warm-up or something. But, um, yeah, they weren't good and didn't create anything. Yeah, they, they weren't good. I, I Maybe we're being a bit harsh if nothing's being created for him. But you'd think, especially if you're playing up front by yourself... You've got to do a bit more for Wolves. Especially yeah, but he's not home. hes not a lone striker, is he? Richard? Yeah. yeah that's, he's, he's definitely a, you know, a bit more of a wide player, someone that can play off around Jimenez. Um, I think if Wolves are going to, if they are going to challenge the Champions League, which I'm dubious about, but if they are, Pedro Neto coming back is a big one for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's missed a lot of this season. Um, and he's, he came back last week. Um, so, yeah, they're going to really need him to, to get back up to where he was for his injury if they're going to do anything. I feel like Silva's the one, he needs a big man to his little man. He, need, he needs yeah. a <laughs> Quinn to his Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, we'll move on to Brighton. The final one, actually, the final Premier League game of the week. But stick around, chaps, because we've got some quizzes that are gonna gonna blow your mind. Um, Brighton's two 0 home loss to Aston Villa. This was the most mid-table clash I've seen since. <laughs> I'm gonna pluck pluck a couple of teams out the hat since since Blackburn Middlesbrough in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Those are just two sort of seemingly eternal mid-table teams. Uh, Neither in the Premier League now. Uh, It pulls Brighton out of European contention and Villa away from relegation worry. So, 
that sort of leaves them mid-table. Uh, that shocking home form, though, that we spoke about continues for Brighton. It's one win in ten in front of their home fans. And the issue of a being having a lack of clinical finishing starting to rear its ugly head again, Dan. 12 shots, but just one on target. What do you make of it? <laughs> yeah, I, I always feel like I'm being really harsh on Graham Potter. Like I didn't I'm ask Alex because it would have been another loving about. Yeah, Potter, maybe so. I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm just sort of jumping down his throat every time they lose and ignoring all the good stuff that Brighton do. But I, I, I still the jury's still out on him for me. I still don't really see this manager that everybody's talking about as being you know in contention for the top jobs all the time and um, being in contention for the England job or whatever. I still think that he's. Not underachieving at Brighton, but underwhelming a little bit for me personally. I think there's 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 too many kind of problems that he that he hasn't really solved yet. And yeah, you would think coming up against Villa in the form they've been in at home would be uh, a, you know a good good opportunity to get three points, and and they didn't play well at all. I think they lost the midfield battle. I think uh, John Begin was really good and um, had a good game for Villa and, and really like bossed the midfield, but. Yeah, you look at the players that Brighton have got, and I think I think they should be doing a bit better. I don't know about Europe, but I think they should be scoring more goals and, and winning more games, really. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'd just I'd just be interested to see what Brent. Uh, I was going to say Brendan Rodgers. Then he's another fraud. Yeah. Uh, that what Graham, what Graham Potter, Potter would do with uh, a, a slightly higher skill level with a bit more expectation. I feel like the most Brighton thing in the world every time I read a match report is. Danny Welbeck came on and had a chance, but missed. That is, that is all I ever see in a Brighton match report. Welbeck doing that every single time. Um, I, I agree, but I think their their finishing up front needs to be a lot better. They need they need to get someone in that. Lacardia did not work out whatsoever for Brighton. Finds himself, I believe, back in the Bundesliga now uh, or in the second division, even in, in Germany. Uh, as for Aston Villa, you mentioned it slightly there, Dan. Uh, they have halted a poor run of form. Four defeats in the last seven. Um, before the Brighton game. Does Gerard start to plan for next season already, Alex? Like, there's a lot of football to be played, obviously. I think still 12 games to go. But each game must give him an idea of where he needs to strengthen for next season because at the minute their form is going to see them finish sort of 10th to 12th anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're on 30 points, aren't they? So there's, yeah, they're not they're not going down, but they're not getting Europe either. Yeah. I think they probably are already looking at next season. But... The big thing for them is keeping all the players. Um, I think having Gerard probably helps that. Um, but you know, I've I've seen John McGinn linked with Man United. I think Douglas Louise is probably going to get a few few teams interested in him. I thought he was really good at the weekend. Um, obviously, Coutinho is on loan. Is he going to is he going to sign permanently? In the Watkins summer? back in the goals. Watkins, even mm. someone like Emmy Martinez, who I think has been actually had a pretty good yeah. season for them. So. Yeah, they can they can plan all they want, but yeah, their yeah their squad could look very different by by the start of next season, which uh, yeah, which sort of starts the job all over again for Gerard then, doesn't it? So yeah, it, it was like this was a good win. I, I like Watkins' goal at the end. That was that was good to see him doing what he what he used to do at Brentford, bursting in and finishing well. So yeah, good win. But yeah, on Brighton they were they weren't good, but yeah, they do they need someone to score a few goals for them because yeah, mm-hmm. they're not. They're not looking good, especially at home. To be fair, I suppose tenth in the table is about as much as you could expect from, from yeah, Brighton at the stage but of the you, season. You said it, but the more I think about yeah. it, but it, yeah, you said it perfectly there, Dan. They're probably they're not. They're just underwhelming, aren't they? They're not. They're not mm. underperforming. They're just underwhelming. I think that's probably right. Tenth in the Premier League is about where they need to be. I think maybe expectations need to be shifted for them a little bit because. 
they they were looking like they could potentially be in Europe, you know, certainly towards uh, Christmas or whatever. But mm. um, yeah, maybe they're just uh, reversing to the mean slightly. I don't know. I think it's but, three yeah, they, they, defeats they in a row good. for them now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, Burnley was three 0 at home as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, not fantastic. Um, Okay, we're going to move on to our questions of the week now. I, I have got written down because I've got the same little template that I use every week for the podcast, the hot topics. And every time we come to one, I think we end up discussing them in the games anyway, in the section. So we'll move on to our quizzes. And they are all goalkeeper themed this week after we saw Queeveen. That's it. Queeven. Queeven. <laughs> Kelleher. Um, Berry Not queefing. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I see you. <laughs> I can see you giggling away there, Dan. Um, <laughs> We're moving on to some goalkeeper-based questions. We've got two bits here. So, our first little quiz is you've got to name the keeper who saved a penalty and scored a winning penalty in a shootout. So, the first one... in an English game? Uh, there's three different three different competitions. Oh, sorry, you're right, okay, yeah. yeah, I'll tell you sorry, the game. Yeah, you've got yeah, to guess yeah, which yeah. keeper it was. So, right. West Ham against Everton in the FA Cup third round in 2015... It was eight all, and this 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 goalkeeper whipped his gloves off and stroked. Oh, was it Adrian? It was. Yeah. I can't help but feel this sort of put him into a, a level of folklore that engineered yes. a Liverpool move <laughs> later on. Yeah, I remember it that. Was Adrian? Yeah, at the um at Upton Park. Uh, the I, second... interview, I interviewed him about that. About really? That, so it's embarrassing that it took me that long to answer. <laughs> 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 uh, the next one, a bit further back, but we're still old enough to remember. Portugal versus England, Euro 2004. Oh, yes. What was his name, that guy? Yeah, yeah he oh, took his yeah. gloves off again. He took his gloves off, to, wait, he, he yeah. took his gloves off to save yeah. the penalty. Was it, um, it's something it's like, like Ricardo or something. It is Ricardo. Ricardo. Was Ricardo. I was going to say Pedro, yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, um, Darius Vassell was, the, was, yeah. the, one, was yes, the one to, to miss the penalty. And mm. uh, yeah, he saved it without gloves. The audacity. I was a more actually... predictable penalty miss than Kepa's that one, I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you. Uh... What was amazing is that he did it again a few years later in the World Cup against <laughs> England. They? Yeah, 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 Ricardo. Just the scourge, that's the fine. scourge of England. Yeah. Uh, the final one's a bit more niche. I remember watching it, so that's why I put it in. Ivory Coast against Ghana, African <laughs> Cup of Nations 2015 in the final. 2015? Yeah. In the final, Ivory Coast against Ghana. This keeper was brought in due to injury and then saved um, the Ghanaian penalty and then scored yeah. the winner in the AFCON final for Ivory Coast. I was going to say Ivory Coast won that one, but I couldn't tell you who the goalkeeper was. A beer no, I, can't, I can't even picture that. So. It was Bubakar Barry. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Big Baz. Yeah. yeah. No relation to Gareth. No relation to Gareth. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but yeah, he talk about crazy. You're, imagine that, but in like the Euros. Like if it was Pickford, you just leathered it in for the winner. <laughs> oh my gosh, stunning. Uh, yeah, there's, so, a world, there's a World Cup in, uh, in later this year. So those were the three. You've got them. Well, you got two out of three. That's quite good. But the final one is two truths and a lie. And this is not my right. hinge profile. This is uh, <laughs> this is about Joao Luigi Buffon, who today has extended his contract with Palma to see him through to twenty twenty four, where he'll be the ripe old age of forty six, um, which is absolutely astonishing, to be honest. Um, so we've got two truths here, 
and one lie, and you have to guess which one the lie is. So the first one is Gianluigi Buffon has never completed a full season in his career, so playing every league game. B, Gianluigi Buffon was the first active footballer to hold a position in the Italian Footballers Association. And C, Gianluigi Buffon has worn the same shin pads throughout his whole career. So which one of those is a lie? <laughs> I'm going to say the first one's a lie. I was, I was going to say the first one's a lie, yeah. Yeah, yeah that Sorry, seems that, like... That makes the quiz a bit boring. At least one yeah. season that he would, he, would have, yeah. he would have played all the league games, surely. So yeah. I, I, went, I went through extensively his, his record, his career today, and his everything. And you're wrong. Oh. Juan Luigi Buffon has never played a full season. Oh, he has okay. played 37 out of 38 Serie A games two or three times. Um, but the rest of the time, yeah, he's missed more than a handful of games, which I find That's bizarre. Shit, David James, I didn't yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he's still got the record for most, for, for most appearances for Juve in Serie A. Mm. But I guess if you played for the last 50 years, you probably would have the most appearances. But yeah, he's never... He's never completed a full season, so now you're wrong, but you've got a choice between the last two. <laughs> the shin pads one doesn't seem like something you'd make up. So no, I'll, go for, the, I'll go for the other yeah. one, the, football, the Italian PFA or whatever it was, yeah. So you're saying that the shin pads one is true or a lie? I'm saying it's true, uh, yeah. Yeah, the shin pads one is true, yeah. It is a lie. You've got the oh, both okay. wrong. So in 2012, he, Buffon was elected vice president of the Italian Footballers Association and it was the first time an active footballer held this position. Um, so it's a lie about the same shin pads. But the reason why it might seem true is because I stole it off another footballer. It's Mark Schwarzer. So Mark <laughs> Schwarzer, who also played on until 44, 45, um, had his same shin pads for his whole career. Since he was Fair 17. I, I hope he washed them. I bet yeah. he must absolutely stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stink of glory. Back to back, back to back title winner with Leicester and Chelsea. The same years that Kante did, but just um, just didn't play a single game. Stunning. Anyway. Doesn't, doesn't count then, does it really? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was looking about that earlier when we were talking about Kelleher. Is he technically has a Champions League title to his name before he played a professional football match. <laughs> He was, he was in the in the match day squad for Liverpool. Yes, more there trophies than Kane. We know, we know. <laughs> Get all of your unnecessary tweets like that into me at Matt underscore Froelich or at One Football. Thank you guys so much for listening because that is the end. You can also drop us an email with any other suggestions, feedback, and Jenny, anything else you want to talk about on the podcast. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. That is all we have time for. Thank you to my guests as always. I hope you've enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. So see you then. 